seated. As you're being seated this morning, uh, one thing I wanted to tell you, I, I was so taken back by all these little kids running around. I was thinking, wow, and, and Cody just jumped right in the middle of it, man. I'm glad he's a big guy. Listen, uh, I just want to tell you, I want to promote this because let me tell you, Cody, ooh, I need my sunglasses. Uh, Cody, um, him and Missy are just amazing youth workers. They serve, aren't they teenagers? You love Cody and Missy, teenagers? Well, I sure love them a lot more than y'all just clout. They must not be in here. About 40 or 50 of them meet over here on Wednesday nights, and they do an amazing job. And uh, Cody has got this baseball camp. I'm going to tell you, man, anybody that loves Christ and can play ball like him, let me just tell you, these are out at the visitor center. It's uh, June 2021. There's a form. If you got a little league or a, a hot, almost if you got a major leaguer, go see Cody. If you've got a, uh, you know, a little tot or a teenager or whatever, somebody in between, man, go out there and think about it and learn how to play ball for the glory of God. Well, this morning, we are finally at this book, the book written at Philippi, Philippians. Man, I love this book of Scripture. You're saying, man, you said that about every book. Well, I love God's book. But I got to tell you, there's some books I don't love quite as much as others, and we'll just leave that like Leviticus and some of those. But, but I'm just, man, Philippians is the book of joy. It's the theme of joy. And I've read Philippians so many times in the last three-plus decades, and this week I read it over and over and over. And, you know, the thing is, I can read it another over and over, and I will, because Philippians just has a way of infusing me, but infusing you with hope. And with joy in Christ. The Apostle Paul is going to tell us what it is to have biblical joy. I'll just assure you this morning, joy is so different than happiness. Happiness is always dependent upon your circumstances, external situations. But joy is an inward working inward happening of God when we put our trust and faith in Christ that the Holy Spirit regenerates and works and fills us with. In Nehemiah, the 8th chapter, the 10th verse, it's a very familiar verse. It says, the joy of the Lord is my... Come on, man, that was pitiful. Here you go. There you go, glory. The joy of the Lord is my... Y'all know this preacher wants you to get going now. I want you to participate. I want you to be activated. I tell you, I'm so convinced that the church is constipated. Yeah, I said it right here on this stage. Go ahead and send me an email. Always taking in. You don't ever give it out. Spiritual constipation. You heard it here this morning. Man, come on. You're saying, I can't believe he just said that in church. I can because it was the truth. And we need to get ready. We need to be excited about what God's doing. Last weekend, you couldn't even get a car spot. You couldn't get all the chairs in here and the people. I'm like, okay, here we go. We're back back to being in church again. Man, I pray. Guys, I just got to tell you right now, I read a book. Actually, I'm reading a couple books, but I read one book cover to cover. I never got up from my chair. I don't think I've ever done that before. And it's called Heaven is for Real. And I encourage you to read it. I'm so excited. The little four-year-old, three-year, ten-month-old boy, the experience he had is so consistent with Holy Scripture. I just encourage you to go out. I don't get any royalties from this, but it'll make you want to go to heaven. It'll thrill you about children, and we'll talk about that later. But anyway, here it is. Philippians this morning. Open your Bibles to the book of Philippians. 
And we think about the power of joy. Paul writes this account. He writes this scripture from prison. The apostle Paul is shipwrecked, beaten, drugged through the streets, snake bitten, all kinds, and a sundry of things happened to Paul. Always in jail. He was a jailbird. He was the first jailbird, okay? Always there. Some of you can identify with Paul. Hold your hand up. No, 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 don't, don't do that. He's just always in trouble. But he was there for being zealous for the gospel, for being righteous, for being holy. And, and so my prayer today is that we can be uh, positive and triumphant and we can overcome our troubles and, and that we can be like Paul. That if a man that was in prison can write with such intimacy and joy and clarity and fullness of spirit, how much more can we testify to the goodness of God if we know him? So this morning, we're going we're gonna to look at Philippians together, and we'll just begin to see what he has to say to us. Now, I want you to look at across the top of your outline. It's a great verse, chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say, rejoice. Paul wants to drive this theme all through the book of Philippians. You see rejoice or you see joy. And Paul is trying to drive this theme constantly into the spirit man. In that day and today, he's trying to say, you need to rejoice. Rejoice in the circumstances? No. You need to rejoice in the world? No. You need to rejoice in Christ. This morning with the devastation of North Alabama and all Central Alabama and all around those areas, man, and I haven't had a chance to go see any of those areas, and I can only imagine what it's going to look like just seeing the news reports and all the footage. Oh, my goodness. You know, the worst uh, tornado since, what, 74? Amazing. And yet God says, rejoice in me no matter what, I'm in charge. And, we, and when you're a people of faith, you're a people of joy. Write that down. When you're a person of faith, you're a person of joy. That's what it means to be a biblical Christian. That despite what's going on in your life, cancer, death, persecution, uh, can't pay your bills, lost a child, sickness, Whatever it is, we're to praise him. God, teach us to be those kind of believers. Look at joy as a key component of, number one, of a strong spiritual life. Joy is the byproduct of when you and I are rightly connected to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we just love him and we say, Lord, I trust into you. But here's what I know. There's a lot of Christian Eeyores in the house. Oh, no. Having a bad day. No. Sun's shining. It's hot out there. Oh, that's going to sound horrible on the CD. But okay. You got the drift. You are just pessimistic. Turn to the person next to you. Slap them out of that. No, no, don't, don't, don't. Somebody been sitting here and been saying, I've been waiting for a long time to slap my mom, and he just gave me permission. Don't do it in Jesus' name. Because next week's Mother's Day. But. You know what I'm saying, man, it's just hard, and we have to go through this, and God wants to produce joy, so it's a strong spiritual life. Warren Wearsby, the great commentator, I've bought many of his commentators over the decades, and I actually got to meet him, and he prayed over me one time. I love Warren Wearsby. He is just a father of the faith, and he said, most Christians are being crucified on a cross between two thieves, yesterday's regrets and tomorrow's worries. They're stuck between the two. They're dying. They're there. And yet Christ is a God, and he's the Lord. He's resurrected. 
and he gives hope, and he gives joy. And the second thing is it develops healthy relationships with others. That's what happens when we have joy. You have right, meaningful, holy, healthy relationships one with the other because Christ rises up in you, and you have something to give them. I pray it all the time in my life. Lord Jesus, would you refresh me by your Spirit? Listen. Now you're saying, I like that. I'm going to write that prayer down. No, no, hold on. That's only part of it. Lord Jesus, would you refresh me? And then I always pray this other part, that I might refresh others. See, if it's all about me, then I'm selfless or selfish and all consumed with me, and that does no good. But if I can be refreshed by the presence of God and I can refresh others. This morning when we talked about hearing your presence, I was refreshed with other believers. How about you, church? And we are not to be mere containers, but we're to be conduits of the gospel and that the Spirit comes and He feels and He flows out of us. So healthy relationship. The third thing is we have a winsome faith. Joy is a key component of having a winsome, attractive faith. I mean, who wants to be miserable and uptight? You ever watch anybody that's miserable and uptight and go, I want to be like you? What? No way. You want to be with people or you want to be like somebody that just exudes the joy of the Lord. I don't understand this. All I know is when Christ saved me, Christ has given me this incredible passion to know him, to make him known, and for life, and it just flows out of me. And if you've seen these anointed spit bubbles, they've just been flowing off this stage today. <laughs> you were thinking, I didn't know they were anointed, but I see them. Okay. You say, you'll never sit down here again. But the thing is, Christ is my hope. Is Christ your hope, church? You're waking up now. You're getting better. Anyone may go, amen, just tell him so you shut up so we can go on. Oh, I pray God would set this church on fire. How many of you are praying God set our church on fire? I'm not talking physically. I don't want no arsonists come over and say, Pastor said he wanted it burned. That's not, that's not what I said. Spiritually, I want us to catch a blaze and burn for Christ's glory. There you go. But somebody's like, well, I can help burn the building down. No, 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 no. Rebuke you. Okay, here it is. City profile. It's written there at Philippi. In, uh, in Acts 16, 12, it says, From there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman city, and the leading city of that district in Macedonia. It's over there near the coast of the Aegean Sea. It's about 800 miles from Rome. And yet the people considered themselves at Philippi a colony of Rome. In that day, if you had Roman citizenship, that was very uh, astute. That was very impressive. If you said, I'm a Roman citizen. And so they wanted to be known as being Roman citizens of the day. And here it is. Historically, it was a Greek city, and it was named after Philip II, the father of Alexander the Great. And if you think about it, Philip II, his name was Philip. He named the community Philippi. He liked himself, okay? Uh, you, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tread on tough ground here, but I'm going to do it. It won't be the first time I've stepped out there. I understand there's a lot of godly ministries and they're named after people and I love those people and I learn greatly from them. That's not what I'm saying. I just know for me, I can never name it the Keith Waldrop evangelistic community or society. I, I, don't, I don't want it to be named after me. See what I'm saying? This guy here, he wanted, it, he wanted anybody to name it after him. Like, hey, y'all call me. Because so, he, 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 I think he had an ego problem, okay? And yet here in this community, man, there's this great movement of God and Latin is the official language 
Um, uh, it's a little Rome right in the middle of Greek culture, but it's a powerful community. And here it's founded by Paul. He did many missionary movements or journeys, but on his second missionary movement to, uh, or mission there to Philippi, he founds the church here at Philippi. And you can look at 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5. But when you look through here, Paul is in prison later, and he writes this book. And there's this guy, his name's Epaphroditus, and he almost dies. I mean, he's in tough shape. But he, he, sent, he brings an offering. He brings a fragrance. He brings his life. He refreshes Paul. And Paul remembers him, and he writes about him. We, we read there about him in, in this particular book. But there's kind of an overview here. And I want you to fill in this little chart. Would you do this with me? There in chapter 1, I want you to fill in. There's joy in living. In chapter 1, the Apostle Paul wants you to know there's joy in living and abiding in Jesus Christ. And then he would say in chapter 2, now there is joy in serving Christ. Say that with me. Serving Christ. That's for all of us. Some of us need to get up and begin to serve. And today I'm going to talk about that at the end of the service about our need for children workers and how critical the children are to Jesus. Third thing is, Philippians chapter 3 says, now there is great joy in knowing Jesus. In knowing Christ, there is joy unspeakable. In the fourth chapter, he goes, now there's joy in trusting. When I trust completely in Jesus Christ, there is joy that fills my soul and leaks out and touches other people. So there's key verses here. I want you to look at these. In uh, chapter 1, there it is. It's verse 21. Okay? I want to move through these quickly. In chapter 2, it's chapter 2, verse 4. Chapter 3, it's chapter 3, verse 8. In chapter 4, it's uh, chapter 4, verse 13. And basically, he's trying to say in chapter 1, Jesus Christ is my life. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is my life. In, in chapter 2, he goes, now Jesus is our example. He thought uh, to be equal with God was not something to be grasped, but he took on the very form, the nature of a servant. Jesus Christ, we emulate so we serve. Our example, in chapter 3, Jesus Christ becomes our goal, the high prize. We, we press on to know Christ and the, and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering. And in chapter 4, verse 13, everybody knows it probably. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He says in chapter 4, Jesus Christ is my strength. Also in chapter 4, he goes, Jesus Christ is my provision. And, those, and, and so I'm going to be in and out of Philippians. It's only four chapters, and I'm just trying to get you to get a better feel. My prayer is when you read this book over the years of your spiritual journey with Christ, you'll begin to see more of who Christ is. Now, let's look at the outline here. Four killjoys that can cripple the church and cripple Christians. These are things that are maybe happening in your life, and, and they've uh, snuffed you out. They've, they've kept you from the, having the power that God wants you to have. Number one, discouragement. Whenever discouragement comes to you and I, nothing happens spiritually. You get paralyzed. You get shut down. You get a quitter's attitude. You give up. Woe is me. And this morning, I'm speaking to some people that are discouraged. You're discouraged in your journey called life. You're discouraged in your journey with Jesus. And my prayer is that today somehow you're going you're gonna to find strength in Christ, not in yourself, but in Christ, and you're going to rise up out of that heap, out of that mess, out of that 
emotional pit or wherever you find yourself, and you're going to find strength in Christ. In chapter 1, verse 12, let's look here. He says, And now I want to know, brethren, that my circumstances, accused, jailed, chained, lonely, awaiting execution, sounds kind of rough to me, have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. See, Paul knew this life wasn't about him. It was about Christ. And he says, even though I've gone through all these things, I'm not going to be discouraged. I choose to be encouraged. Encouragement means to put life into somebody. Oh, that's my prayer that I do uh, hopefully most weekends or every weekend that you find life, you find infusion of joy and of life in Christ. And there's an antidote here. It's when God, we have a God-honoring response. L- listen to this. This is interesting. Uh, the Apostle Paul, he's in prison on trumped-up charges. They weren't even true, but he gets thrown in prison. He had selfish co-workers that are all worried about their reputation and what might look good for them. And then Paul, like Jesus, gets deserted in his time of need. So you're thinking, well, he had a reason to not be encouraged. He ought to have been discouraged. He ought to have been like calling down fire. Timothy. Timothy was written off of being, Timothy, you're too young. Let me tell you, if you're young today, and you define young, if you're young today, don't be written off because you're young. Don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. You be bold in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. I am uh, right here this morning. I have three of our Troy students from Momentum sitting right here on the front row. And I am more for Christ because of them and the body that meets at Troy University, our other campus, because they love Christ. They're abandoning themselves to the university life to follow Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And I don't look down on them. In fact, I look up to them. And we ought to look up to one another. And our youth group, the things that Mark Bethay's doing, we ought to look to them, and we ought to look at their example of faith. And teenagers, if you're saying, they're looking to me, and you're living like a bum, then repent and live for Christ. Does that fit any of y'all? I mean, you don't have to come up and get on the altar right now. You can do that later, okay? But if you're not living for Christ, man, you say, man, I don't want anybody to follow my example. I'd lead somebody in a ditch. Okay, so whatever, listen to chapter 1, verse 27 and 28. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a worthy manner of the gospel of Christ. I hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your uh, opponents there. He's trying to tell them here, hey, there is great strength. Philippians 1, 6, just underline this verse. See, now I'm just going to kind of run through some key I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in me will perfect it against the day of Christ Jesus. I am confident in who? In Jesus Christ. I'm going to sing for you now. You ready? I can't believe I'm going to do this. Where's my, I, 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 let me wet my whistle, okay? I don't, have, I don't have this vocal team up here, this voice. It's not very impressive, okay? Don't get ready. <clears throat> I'm going to teach you a little song. I wasn't going to do this, but I just feel the liberty to do it. Y'all ready? You ready, brother? All right, here we go. <clears throat> I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in me will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Dun, dun, dun. I am confident. I am confident. I am confident in Jesus. Dun, dun, dun. Hey, Jeff, can I sing next week with y'all? No. Okay. Well, you're saying, the Bible says be a fool for Christ. And our pastor just gave a beautiful example. He did. I sing this song all the time. I am nothing. Christ is my everything. 
I'm confident in the riches of Jesus. And I pray you are. Philippians 1.9, look there with me quickly. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. All through Philippians, God talks about prayer. He talks about abiding in Christ, abounding in a prayer life that's powerful, that overflows. And I find, this is what I've learned about being a, a Christ follower and a pastor. There's great joy when I pray for others. And you will find joy when you pray for one another and you take the focus off yourself and you put it on somebody else. Praying blessings and liberty and leadership and conviction and change and transformation and whatever the Holy Spirit gives you, but begin to pray. Let's look at Philippians 2. It's all about selfishness. Chapter 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or, or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. I don't know about you, but I have a hard time being selfish sometimes. And, or, or I have a hard time being selfless. I don't have a hard time being selfish. And you know what I've learned about little kids? They come here selfish. Every time on the front hall, every once in a while, we will have a little angel. I'll go up to them. You see, when they hold these little orange cheese puffs, and oh, but I don't, I don't eat them because... The evidence, it makes me guilty. It gets all of my hands in my face. But if they ever have a little goldfish, and I'm just complaining now because I haven't seen these lately. When they have a little cup of goldfish, pastor goes, oh, glory. And I go over, and many times I've walked up to a little kid and said, may Pastor Keith have a goldfish? No. I mean, incredibly selfish. And today, in Jesus' name, may there be a kid that walks up to Pastor Keith and gives him a goldfish. But here's what I know. Or you have a kid and they're playing with a toy. You go, can I play with your toy? No. I got a little friend here. I'll, I'll leave him nameless. I ask him questions all the time. And he goes, no. No. I asked him one time. I said, can I go on vacation with your family? He goes, no. And he went out of the room crying. <laughs> but his little sister said, we would love for you to go with us, Pastor Keith. I know. But, but then I found out that it's not just me. He tells his grandfather no. He tells everybody no. It's just how he is. Great kid. He's going to grow up loving Christ. I believe that because, let me tell you, his mom and dad are so godly. And they're setting an example for that little boy. Because you know what? We just come that way. And you go, oh, wasn't that a cute story? But how about us? We're, we're somewhere and we have our meal. And somebody says, may I have a bite? Certainly not. <laughs> how many of you, when you go out with your wife or husband and they want to share your meal, you get thrilled in Jesus? I don't. Especially if it's cheesecake. No, no. It's for me? Boy. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you are like, man, you're really that stingy? Can be. Trying to learn how not to be. I'm trying to learn how to be selfless. I got a long way to go. See, the people in Rome, they were all about climbing the ladder of success. They were all about themselves. Yet we find this recording. He says, hey, man, don't be so status conscious. That, society's, that society was driven by their status seeking. You know what? I'm thinking America is not a lot different. We love to be status seekers. We love to have the right stuff. Well, I love to have the right stuff. I want to drive the right stuff, wear the right stuff, smell the right stuff, do the right stuff, everything. All oh, the right stuff. Man. You got that on your shirt. You know what that is. Like One time I had this little symbol on my shirt. Somebody, you know what that is? I'm like, no, I don't know what it is. What is it? And they were so impressed by my shirt. They didn't know somebody had given it to me. <laughs> but, 
Anyway, I'll go on. I'm going to get in trouble. Here we go. The antidote here, humility. You descend into greatness. In 2, 5, and 8, he says, Your attitude should be that of Christ Jesus, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God. But then he goes on, he considers even death on a cross. He becomes obedient. Christ becomes the example. Uh, Philippians 2, 13 here. I I want you to see this. I, I was reading the other day, and I was reading the New Living Translation. And I saw it a little different, and I got so excited about chapter 2, verse 13. I want you to just look there with me. You can start in your Bible. It says, For God is working in you, giving you the desire to obey him and the power to do what pleases him. In the Living Bible, it says, For God is at work within you, helping you to want to obey him, and then helping you do what he wants. And desire, God wants to give us and plant in us desires. When he says, I'll give you the desires of your heart, the Father wants to give us desires that do what? That obey him. And here's the cool thing. When we get righteous desires and we seek the desires of God and God gives us desires, then he gives us the power, the Holy Spirit, to obey him. And wait, wait, this is the coolest part. And then it equals, it pleases him. When you and I have right desires and we obey him, we please him. But when we have wrong, sinful, lustful, carnal desires, and we disobey him, we displease him. My prayer is, God, make us a people of the book. Make us people that please you. God, give us holy desires. Desires that will lift up Jesus Christ. Desires that will give you glory that do, that is due your name, that this way that it blesses him. And then also in verse 14, now I want you to look at this. How could I preach on this and not get you to look at the verse? This is a tough verse. Some of you need to highlight it. You need to underline it. Do everything with complaining and arguing. Fight often. No, it doesn't say that. Look what it says. Do everything without complaining or arguing. (laughs) Paul, you nailed me, Bubba. Why? Do everything without complaining or arguing. Yo, let me tell you, my aunt, she was kind of a, a feeling mom. When my mom got killed when I was nine years old, and my Aunt Mary came to live with us, and uh, she lived with us for two years, and she was a Marine sergeant. She wasn't really, but she, she acted like one. <laughs> get up and get up fast. Jump out of that bed and make it up. She had all these little things. Man, I run around the house. Yeah, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am. You know, man, woman scared me to death because my mama, my mama was a princess. My mama, man, she spoiled me rotten. Maybe that's one reason the Lord took her on home, because, like, man, you, you, you're going to be sorry if she stays around. But Aunt Mary, oh, I didn't even know God, and I said some ugly things to her. I didn't, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't like this lady. And I began at an early age the ability to argue my case. Never win, but I could argue my case. And one day Aunt Mary walked up to me, and she said these words. Keith, we need to talk. Oh, no. Because, oh. like, she made me do multiplication tables and all this stuff. But I can fly through math because of her. So she was a teacher. I loved Aunt Mary. She became my favorite aunt. At the time, I was, like, going to take her down to the post office and put her picture up. there, like, somebody take my Aunt Mary. But, but, she, she would just, but one day, I was arguing profusely. And she says, we need to talk. She says, son, you have quite a passion. Not always good. You will argue about anything. And I just smiled. I said, yes, ma'am. I do that pretty well, don't I? She goes, you do. She goes, I'm going to declare to you today, I think I know what you're going to be. And I listened in. I'm like, you know, you're not going to believe this. I wanted to be a gospel singer. I really did. <laughs> Isn't that hilarious? And I sang today. Anyway, you see why I didn't make that career. 
The next thing, Cody, you know what? Where's Cody? Is Cody back in the room? He went next door. He went over there. I wanted to be a major league baseball player. I had great talent as a little league, and then everybody caught up with me. So that didn't happen. But she says, Keith, here's the two things you're going to be. I said, yes, ma'am, tell me. She goes, you're going to be a lawyer or you're going to be a preacher? One of the two. She knew. I was pre-law in college, thought I'd go to law school. God, God called me to be a preacher because you know what? I like to run my mouth and I like to argue a case. And yet I read this verse, and this verse didn't always work well in relationships. So I'm encouraging us, let's do things without complaining or arguing. And the church said, should have said, no, I need an Aunt Mary. No. That's right. God, help us to be you. Look at Philippians 3. Philippians 3 Verse 13 is all about past regrets. I think this verse is going to come up. Can you get 313? There it is. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. In other words, Paul didn't consider himself to be some super saint or super spiritually mature or already arrived. But one thing I do, I forget what lies behind and I reach forward to that which lies ahead in Christ Jesus. Paul knew the ability to leave the things in the past to forget that and press on to know Christ as Lord. Here's what I want to say to us quickly. Some of you are so camped out on your past, you can't, you're stuck. And I'm, I encourage you to go see a counselor. I encourage you to, to get help. I, I encourage you to deal with that. I'm not saying just brush over it, but I'm saying don't camp out there for the next two decades of your life. Get on with Jesus and press on to know Christ. There's fun. I, I'm not a good counselor. I'm really not. I'm just declaring that. I counsel a lot because I'm free. And that's why people come see me. But I like to send them out to the professionals. But I have this saying, and I, I do like it. I have a mug in my office, and it has three words. Get over it. That's what I want to do. I want to like, you know, I think about the third time, I'm like, get over it. And when you tell me the tenth time, John Mark, God bless you. I don't know how you do it. You just listen so well, and it's so encouraging. But I, I'm just not that gifted. But we need to forget what is in the past, and we need to press on to know God. And we don't want to have these past regrets. I press on. I strain. God, I want to know you. Paul rejoices. Let me get you to write this down. We need to forget past griefs, past guilts, and past glories. Huh. What are you talking about? I can understand the grief and the guilt glories. You see, if you camp out what you used to be, how great you thought you were in your mind, you'll never achieve anymore. I hear people all the time, and I, I know I can get hung up on things I did in the past, but let me tell you, that's in the past, brother. What have I done today for Christ Jesus? See, I'm looking forward to what God has for the future for Christ Community Church. I can tell you about almost 15 years this August what he's done. It's been an amazing ride. But you know what? I can't wait to see what he's going to do the next 25 years. Hallelujah. You're saying, you're going to preach that long? I'm going to preach as long as I got breath. They have to. They rode me up here in a little wheelchair. And I'll come here and give them the gospel. I will. That's what I was made to do to defend his name, to give him glory, but so were you. You're like, ah, oh, I got it now, pastor. Okay, let's look at it. Verse, chapter 3, verse 20. Look at this verse. Great verse. Oh, my goodness. I love this verse. But our citizenship is in heaven. That's why I want you to read that Bible or read that book, Heaven is for Real. Makes me think a lot more about heaven. And every time when I think about my Jesus and I think about those that have died in Christ and have preceded me in death, I look forward to being reunited with him. 
I've always said Christians never see each other for the last time. Those that die with a hope steadfastly abiding, abounding, fruit-bearing, biblical believers will see their lost loved ones if they abided in Christ forever and ever. Blessed be his name. The fourth thing is anxiety in chapter 4. Paul talks about anxiety. He talks in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. But in verse 6, he goes, do not be anxious about anything. Do, don't be anxious. Another word you can write above the word anxious, don't worry. I mean, you know, I don't know about you, but I, I can worry and you can worry and worry just freezes us and, and you know, and it doesn't do any good. But Proverbs 16, 25 says, an anxious heart weighs a man down. When you have anxiety, it's written all over your face, all over your countenance or your lack of countenance, and it weighs you down. How many of you, unless you're really skinny, how many of you have a goal that you want to gain a lot of weight this year? <laughs> like, you know, I woke up the other morning and I go, I need 25 more pounds on me. I do not. And when you live in anxiety, it weights you down. And some of you this morning, I'm begging you by the mercy of Jesus to walk out of here free today, liberated by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. You're saying, well, I want to carry that anxiety. We don't want you to carry it. Your citizenship is in heaven. You set your mind on things above where Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of the Father. So anxiety, the antidote is this. What is it? Oh, I forgot to give you all three. Here, let me go back to three. Did he already put it on the screen? Oh, there it is. The grace of God or let go of the past. That's the antidote. The grace of God, the grace of Jesus, or let go of the past. I'm sorry, I got so excited, I just forgot it. Hey, if I forget sometime, y'all just hold your hand up, okay? If you just hold your hand up, I'll know I forgot something. Okay, here we go. The antidote to anxiety is trust in Christ. Complete belief. You trust in Christ. Two signs that I'm trusting in Christ. Fill it in. Gratitude. In Philippians 4, 6, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer, petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God with thanksgiving. Father, I am thankful. Lord, I am blessed. I thank you, Heavenly Father. I love to pray thank you prayers. How about you, church? I spend so much of my time thanking God, thanking you, but we don't do it enough. And we need to thank him. We need to uh, magnify. We need to adore him. He's worthy. God, I thank you. And, uh, and then, then it moves down here to Philippians 4.13 in gratitude. But I can do this. I can thank you through the strength that Christ gives me, Lord Jesus. But let's look at the last one. Chapter 4, verse 19, he talks about generosity. And I've always loved this verse. And it says, And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Jesus, in Christ Jesus. God, you'll meet my needs, not my wants, my needs, according to your riches in Christ. As I seek Christ, as I know Christ, as I follow Christ, as I get to know him, so I, I think about him. I, the Bible talks all there in chapter 4, verse 8, about you know, thinking the right thoughts. And I want you to write this in about your thought life. Write this in quickly. Number one, how to defeat the enemies of, joy, uh, of uh, joyful thinking. There's always going to be an, uh, an arch rival, the Satan. He's always going to come against our thinking patterns, and he wants to defeat us. And here's some ways to maybe combat it. Number one, attack the anger. If there's anger that is controlling you, learn to attack that anger in the strength of Christ and identify that anger. Maybe start an anger journal, but ask God to rid you of that anger. Attack it. And then the second one is abolish anxiety in the love of Christ. Lord, I'm going to trust you. Trusting in Christ is the antidote here. Christ, I trust you. I don't trust myself. I don't want to worry Oh, it's so easy to say this, and it's so hard to practice it, but it's biblical. So, God, I attack anger, I abolish anxiety. And the third thing is, I arrest the abuse 
you, you arrest the abuse in your life, the improper, the impure thoughts that begin to fill your mind, quit letting it abuse you. Quit letting it hold you captive. Get free from it. Lord, I pray that today you'll give us the mind of Christ. You'll allow us to go forward. So today, I'm just praying that we're going to get some freedom, some liberty from looking at the Philippian letter. It's a great letter. There, I only touched a few verses today. I just, my prayer is that somehow you got ramped up in the Spirit and that you want to go dive into it and say, God, this is for me. Can, can I say this today? Would you make the Word of God personal for you? Make it personal. Christ died for sinners. Yet when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Get to know Him. Let's turn the lights down a little bit lower and have a time of prayer. Lord Jesus, you are amazing. And I thank you for your grace and your love and your mercy that you shed on the cross for us. And Lord, I thank you that even today you're calling us to yourself to know you, to, uh, to identify with you. And Father, I pray that where there's been an absence of joy in this room, that you, we would begin a new walk of faith, that the joy of Jesus would be ours. And you would rise up and you would give us that kind of contagious joy. Lord, not something that we muster up on our own, but that we draw upon the reservoir of your love, of your spirit, and that the joy of Christ becomes real in us. Jesus, express your joy now to us that you might express your joy through us to a world that needs to have hope. Father, I pray that you will give us uh, holy, right, and pure, and noble thoughts on things above. And Lord, I pray that we would rise up today as a people of faith and we would be different because we've set under the word and that you've released spiritual power into our lives. Lord Jesus, you are good and holy. There's none like you. I love you, Lord. This morning, would you just make that declaration to Jesus? Would you just tell him you love him? You can tell him out loud. Just tell him, Jesus, I love you. Tell him, church, Father, I love you. I love you, Holy Spirit. Have your way in my life. Make me different. Take me away from here. That people recognize that I've been in the presence of the Lord. And Christ has begun a new work in me. Because we do it in the strength of Jesus. And we give him praise. Thank you, Father, for another Sunday morning. Thank you for your family of faith called Christ Community. Lord, we pray for those today that need strength. Maybe they're in this room. Grant it to Almighty God. Help us to not focus on ourselves, but to focus on Christ and others. Lord, make us a people that love the people outside the walls of our room. And bless us until we meet again. In Jesus' name.